As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. We turn now to Torsten Slack. Paul, you read the note. I didn't read the note. Why don't you bring in Slack of Apollo Management? Absolutely. Torsten Slack joins us here. Uh, he is the Apollo partner and chief economist. Uh, Torsten, a lot of the parlor game here on Wall Street is when will the Federal Reserve cut interest rates in 2024 and by how much? You came out with a note today saying, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a reasonable argument that they won't cut rates in 2024. Tell us what you're thinking. I and I thanks for having me, Paul and Tom. I think that the reality now is that we can no longer ignore how much financial conditions have eased since the December 13 FOMC meeting. We have seen the stock market reaching new all-time highs, of course, every day at the moment. As we know, we're seeing credit spreads tighten a lot in investment grade, in high yield, in loans. We're also seeing IG issuance in January, and now it looks like in February also would be the highest January and highest beginning of the year that we have had ever in history. High yield issuance has been strong. Loan issuance has been strong. On top of that, IPO activity has been picking up. M&A activity has been picking up. It really is not surprising with this significant rebound in capital markets activity that the employment report for January was strong. And it is really also not surprising that the inflation data also was strong. So the bottom line is, I think that the market now has to realize that the data is just not slowing down. Hmm. And the Fed pivot has given an additional tailwind to the economy and to financial markets and financial conditions and to capital markets. And all that is likely to continue to be supporting growth in consumer spending, in capex spending, in hiring for most likely the better part of this year. Is there a scenario for you where the Fed actually hikes rates in 2024? So I know Larry Summers and several others have been talking about this as a possible scenario. I, I do think that they would be reluctant and very reluctant to do that. Uh, but I do think at the same time that it's clear that the market has, on the back of the Fed pivot, uh, declared victory and said that inflation is no longer a problem. And the problem is that inflation is indeed 
looking like it's becoming a problem again. You're having, obviously, average hourly earnings is in the range of 4 to 5%. This has to come further down. This is not consistent with the 2% inflation target. If you look at the NFIB survey, both for wage expectations and selling price expectations, right. they are all beginning to go up. And finally, you also have a number of other indicators that are leading in terms of what inflation is doing and all those continue to point in particular we look at some of the underlying trends in the trim mean and the median right. inflation to also more upside so the conclusion is we are simply not done fighting inflation torsten the hallmark of your work at deutsche bank and now at apollo has been a holistic approach to economics what's the character of our nominal gdp everybody not everybody near everyone's got it wrong what's the character of our animal spirit out two in three years? I think this is a really important question, Tom, because as you just said, first of all, let's think about and let's evaluate our own, meaning the market's uh, uh, ability to forecast things going into 2023 and 2024. In 2023, everyone everywhere, including most likely also the Fed forecast, the consensus, the market was saying we will have a recession and we turn out to not have a recession. The continued strength in the economy surprised everyone. This year, everyone came in and said, oh, the Fed will cut rates uh, six times, maybe even seven times at some point, because we will get that slowdown. And now we're sitting here a few months into the year, and the economy has simply not slowed down. The employment report in January at more than 300,000 jobs created was just really, really strong. So I think a very important dimension to your question, Tom, is that the U.S. economy is just incredibly diversified. It is really difficult for the Fed to cool things down. But it has turned out to be that the consumer right. is much less sensitive to rate hikes. Corporates are less sensitive to rate hikes. And one of so my as a consequence, th- um, the diversified economy continues to do well. And the scale of it, folks, I think the media, and I'm guilty of this as well, does a terrible job of showing the size of the American economic experiment versus other nations. We're on Apple CarPlay. We're on YouTube. Type in Bloomberg Podcasts. We've had a huge response to YouTube. Paul and I are humbled uh, by it. Lisa's not humbled by no, it, but Paul and I are humbled by it. <laughs> and there's a live chat there where someone just told me their mother threw out their varsity jacket and they've been in therapy for 30 <laughs> uh, years. Why don't you continue with Torsten Slock, his important research note this morning? Absolutely, Tom. We are speaking with Torsten Slock, Apollo partner and chief economist. Torsten, just from an optics perspective, not an economics perspective, but from an optics perspective, how difficult would it be for Fed Chairman Jay Powell not to cut rates this year after, I don't know, strongly hinting in December that that was going to be the scenario? Yeah, I know. But I mean, I think that the markets have been overinterpreting what the Fed actually has been saying. He was at the press conference in December, actually reasonably balanced. He was just saying that, well, for now we're on hold. And this was certainly the clear message. Uh, but more recently, several FOMC members have been coming obviously out and saying, well, maybe we do need to stay higher for longer. So with that backdrop, I actually don't think that it's quite, it's quite simple for the Fed to just continue to say, well, maybe the risks have now tilted more towards some more upside risk, both on both sides of the dual mandate, both when it comes to employment and when it comes to uh, inflation. So uh, on that front, I think that the Fed communication challenge is actually much, much more straightforward relative to the significant roller coaster that markets have been through from first, again, pricing six or seven cuts to now pricing three cuts. And maybe as the data, again, we had jobless claims that were yeah. strong yesterday. We had inflation ticking up a bit higher yesterday on the month right. of the month. 
all that would make the market where a lot of the action and a lot of the movements needs to be. But Torsten, we're here among friends. Nobody's listening. It's a Friday. Hasn't ISLM theory and aggregate demand supply theory been overwhelmed by bulk productivity across America? Hasn't basically the IS curve taken over from the LM analysis? True. I mean, there's certainly a lot to think about because another way of, of saying that is this question whether was it supply that drove inflation up and now down or was it actually also demand? And the San Francisco Fed studies that have looked at this have found that indeed supply played a role and two thirds of the increase in the supply chains was because of supply chains that got clocked up right. and are now being straightened out. But one third was demand. So that's why the issue now becomes, well, if demand did play a role, and maybe now we have more demand simply because of the wealth effect, because the stock right. market going up, because of the easing of financial conditions, then maybe we are having a shift in the ISLM curve, right. where we now suddenly have that is demand that's beginning to play a role in driving inflation right. higher. Yes, yesterday's story was that it was supply, but looking ahead, it looks like demand is beginning to become more important. Torsten, one final question. Paul, toss it. Ask Torsten this. Said, <laughs> Paul didn't want to be rude. Are you buy, hold, or sell on Apple? Which way would you go, Torsten? <laughs> so I don't have any view on individual stocks, uh, but I would say that uh, my main conclusion from an investing perspective is that uh, if there's one thing that we should do as investors, it is to listen very carefully to what is the Fed trying to tell us. And as oh, listen said, to you. More recently, no, you're supposed to say, to, <laughs> Torsten, you're supposed to say you have to listen to Bloomberg surveillance. Torsten Bloomberg thank surveillance, you. of course. Thank uh, you so but much. I if the Fed says they will keep rates higher for longer, then they will probably keep rates higher for longer. So that means front-end fixed income okay. continues to look attractive. Did we get an answer there? Yeah, well, he's I'm yeah. buying short year. Okay. Torsten Slack, thank you so much for the power of the manager. Joining us now, and uh, you know, Paul, this is the romance you've lived on the sell side. Oh, sure. You get on the plane, yep. it's romantic and all that. We're looking at him on YouTube here. Dan Ives looks like he could blow him over. He's so tired. He's in Bangkok, Thailand right now. We're thrilled Doing that he could I'm join us yet. on an Asian tour. <laughs> Dan, how long does it take you to get done with jet lag coming back from Asia? I mean, look, it, it, it depends. I mean, yeah, look, it's these trips. No, obviously well worth it, but uh, yeah. you always have some jet lag uh, going right. in after that 21-hour flight. For those of you on Apple CarPlay, you can just see that De Ives is channeling Deborah Kerr and the King and I here. It's the same color scheme as what Deborah was doing uh, with Yul Brenner. Dan, serious conversation now, and you are more than qualified. I understand AI NVIDIA, AI Microsoft. Paul explains to me they're going to make fancy chips. Apple's not going to do that. What's the AI plan you glean for Apple? Look, in, within Cupertino, the next big thing, I think, comes out WWDC. I mean, obviously, German breaking the story, how they ripped the Band-Aid off on EVs. But now it's all focused on AI. We believe the AI app store, a separate AI app store, will be the first step. And I think for developers, that's important because for for consumers, they're going to be able to now, over the next one, two years, be buying separate AI-driven apps off of an iPhone 16 that has exclusive AI capabilities and LLMs built in. This is the next phase of the growth story within Cupertino.
So, Dan, I mean, I think what we've seen, and you've certainly explained it to us very well over the years, that Apple doesn't feel the need to be first, uh, even in iPhones, for example. They just need to come in with the best and most elegant product. Is that kind of the strategy we're seeing with AI? They're certainly not first. They're certainly not leading edge. But do you fully expect them to have a play here in Angle? Look, I mean, there's 2.2 billion reasons. I mean, that's the amount of iOS devices. For them, they don't have to be first because they have a golden install base that's unrivaled. And clearly right now, I mean, sentiment's negative on Apple out there. And I believe what the street's missing is going to be this renaissance of growth, not just AI into the Apple ecosystem, but I think it's going to spawn just more and more upgrade opportunities. We go into the next, you know, call it 12, 18 yep. months. And that's, that's going to be huge for the sum of the parts. You know, Keen talked about AI in terms of NVIDIA and Microsoft, but now it's the second, third, fourth derivatives of this AI revolution that hit. So, Dan, you're, you're in Asia as we speak. What's the feeling there about China and Apple and as an end market for Apple products uh, going forward there? Because as, as you are well aware, that's probably the big issue for the stock right now. Yeah, earlier this week in Hong Kong and you know in and around China, it's a it's like the 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 video thriller, the the negative, the horror show, right? In terms of the view right now of China tech, and I think fears about just the economy in China. I think when he looks at Apple, it all comes down to what does demand look like in an economy like that. We believe to that point. It has started to stabilize. I believe the streets factoring in a lot more negative than we're seeing here. I think the overall sentiment right now is basically anything but China and you own U.S. tech, the AI revolution. No one wants to be outside the bar at right. 10 p.m. when it goes till okay. 4 a.m. I'm going to talk with Paul Sweeney on this and then we're <laughs> going to go to Dan Eyes. I want to hear from both of you on this. There's got to be a point where operating officers of any visible company just get angry. Yeah. And the CFO turns to the CEO and says, look, we're modeling this out the next 18 months, Paul Sweeney. Let's do it now. Is that where Apple is now, Paul? I, I, you know, I think for, for China and Dan, I'll go to Dan on this one, but for China, it's 20% of their sales. It's a huge part of their infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They have to be there. Uh, Tim Cook is over there all the time trying to make it work here. So Dan, I mean, is there a scenario where China is not you know, a critical market for Apple? Look, I mean, it's the hearts and lungs of Apple in terms not just from growth, but of course, from a supply perspective. And, and that's that's the reality. Right. And I think Apple recognizes you, you have 200 million iPhones in China. They've gained 300 bips of market share the last 18 months just because of what they're going through. They're not throwing in the white towel. But Dan, come on, the CFO, they got nobody's got a profit machine like Apple. Let's start with that basic summary here. There's almost a point where this put on Apple, they go enough and do something financially to right the ship. Is that feasible? Look, I think for Apple, anything's possible. In other words, like all, all options are on the table in terms of where they can navigate things. And for Apple right now, they are in just a massive position of strength because of the install base. And I think they recognize Cook, He'll, they'll navigate headwinds in China to get to the other right. side of this because of what's on the horizon. It started with the Vision right. Pro. 
then it's AI App Store, and then it's AI with an iPhone yeah. Paul, 16. Get one more in here. Yeah. Can I state off the WACC screen on the Bloomberg oh terminal, the return on invested capital for this dog of Cupertino is 55%. <laughs> I've never said that number, folks, in umpteen years. Exactly. Hey, Dan, real quickly, what's the uh, prognosis here on, on Apple's decision to back out of the car business? I think that was just Ryan was in the wall. They had to rip the Band-Aid off, focus all on AI. I mean, obviously, a decade lost. But but for them, you can't keep putting good money after bad. They got to focus on AI. This is no different than Zuckerberg and Meta, you know, taking away from Metaverse, going toward AI. It's a smart move. They needed to do it. And look, it was a, it was a painful learning lesson, I think, for Cook. Right. Dan, seriously, safe travels. You're a trooper. Love what you're doing. I don't, you know, I don't agree with them, but you know, small <laughs> detail. Dan Ives, the Wedbush. It's not that we agree or disagree on buy, hold, sell. Mr. Ives leading the charge for the enthusiasts yep. of artificial uh, intelligence. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing. The passion to keep investing. The best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. And this is our technology conversation of the month. It's March 1st. But we're done, Paul, after uh, uh, Mr. Neri or Antonio Neri of HPE, their CEO. And I'm going to put up here, for those of you on YouTube, you can see one of my most beloved Hewlett and Packard artifacts. This is the 12C that got me into this chair with the obligatory <laughs> CFA sticker on it. Nice. And Sweeney's got their killer app. Antonio Neri HP 12C <laughs> app on his Apple iPhone. Mr. Neri, honored to have you with us today. I want to carry on from Chris Miller's wonderful Chip Wars, the battle of, say, Silicon Graphics coming into HPE and all of this hot air about AI. You've got HPE GreenLake. How are you going to join NVIDIA and Microsoft, your good competitors, in the excitement of AI? What's the path over the next two years? Well, good morning, Tom and Paul. Thanks for having me uh, today. 
You know, obviously we are living in a massive inflection point with AI, where I think, you know, is the most revolutionary technology of our lifetime. It's going to change everything, the way we work, the way we live. And when you think about that opportunity, I think about the opportunity to change everything from a technology standpoint, but also from the business standpoint. And so us with HP Green Lake, we have a unique opportunity to democratize these AI technology to everyone, because today, AI has been only used for the large institution, whether right. it's government and academia. But going forward, enterprise have to adopt those technologies. I, I get and the, HP Green Lake is yeah, that. I get the I, AI uh, idea within computer science, like what you've done and your leadership over the years at Hewlett Packard. But what I, I don't understand, and I think there's a lot of doubters, when you say at HPE Green Lake, you're going to unleash the potential of your people. What does it actually mean two years out? Well, it means, you know, a significant amount of automation and business insight that you can gather through the data and the application of these technologies. We see that across multiple vectors uh, or industries. The robotics in manufacturing through uh, finding cures uh, for major diseases. We have some amazing use cases we're working today with AI, finding and accelerating the cure for Alzheimer and dementia. You know, one of the things we're doing is trying to model the entire neural, neurological brain to find what are the protein is that causing those, those issues. But also better climate research and forecasting. But when you bring it to enterprise, it's all about productivity, you know, in the legal space, in the finance space, in the operation space. And this large language model accelerates that, that set of capabilities. Antonio, what I think a lot of investors are trying to figure out here in these early innings of AI is how much of this AI spending in terms of capital uh, um, expenditures is incremental or how much of it is taken away from other tech budgets, maybe IT budgets, for example. What's your experience so far? Yeah, Paul, I, I will say AI has a life cycle from training to fine tuning to inferencing. Most of the action in the last five quarters or so since we have uh, going through this hype has been on the training side. These are companies, unique companies that are building large language models, now exceeding a trillion parameters, if you will. And they need a lot of compute power, right? To keep training, retraining the model, to reduce the cost of those models, but also to make it more accurate so you can trust it. Uh, enterprises are in the early stages, and I don't think they're gonna build the models itself. They're gonna take a model, they're gonna give context to the model with their data, in a location where they can afford, honestly, I think that's the wide reason why Green Lake is so important in as a service model. You only pay for what you consume versus outlaying you know, tens of millions of dollars of capex up front. And then the value comes from the inferencing, where you deploy the model, where the data is generated so you can actually deliver the outcome, whether it is, you know, processing video surveillance or whether it is, you know, in the manufacturing floor to automate processes. This is where we are in the early stages. And I think, you know, that's going to, you know, one, it's going to be one of the biggest right. growth in 24 and 25. Antonio, you just reported earnings. You took your full year guidance down. Um, that was in part due to the networking business uh, leading yep. to that miss. And that was one of your better performing businesses last year. What's changed 
for you in that business? Well, you know, it's a little bit uh, the, uh, the, the, the the success we have had, right? So yep, in the last two years, we, we raised our revenues in the networking business by $2 billion. We took share from Cisco and we have an amazing portfolio. And I just came back from our Congress. You can see the use cases of inferencing at the edge of the network, for example, uh, the monetization of 5G and private 5G. But what's going on now, customers are digesting the last two years' purchases were very significant. In fact, we grew over 40% year over year. And so this comes back, but this is why the merger with Juniper in the networking space is going to be a terrific addition to our portfolio and right. a, a, a creation for us going forward. We have time, sir, for for one more question. I've just got to go back and, folks, f full disclosure, it's my, I'm going to redo it as a book of the summer, Chip Wars, Chris Miller's mm -hmm. fabulous book. Antonio, Seymour Cray was with Control Data and all that, <laughs> and he made a wonder computer of my childhood out of Wisconsin and Minnesota. After three mergers, Silicon Graphics and all, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, which people think is stodgy, picks up one of the magic names in 2019 in computers. What are you going to do with Cray Exascale? Well, I mean, amazing company, amazing companies that changed the, 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 the landscape in computing. Both now Cray and SGI, the Silicon Graphic, are part of our server business, delivering these amazing systems. We call it supercomputing. Yeah. Uh, to give a sense, those systems today are deploying the Department of Energy and they have many coming online. And so our goal is to use the system to solve some of the biggest challenges, to design better engines, more sustainable solutions in the life science and you know, right. cl climate research, sustainability. So this is why we made the investment. I think I will say, Tom, what people misunderstood when we right. bought Cray, we bought a company that had silicon and software and we're able to turn that into a capability that solved these challenges. Right. That's why we are excited about it. We're out of time. Antonio Neri, you got to come to New York. You got to come in our studio. I need to show you my <laughs> HP 12C. Mr. Neri with HPE, the uh, wonderful follow on of all the work at Hewlett Packard. This is a joy out of Chicago with Banrian Capital Management. Victoria Bills joins us with incredibly detailed notes about where we are and what to do with money. Tell us what Banrian does exactly. What is the, the clientele? What's your headache on a Monday morning? Oh, wow. Well, pers personally, my headache this morning is just the jet lag getting in, but I'm super <laughs> excited to be here. Yeah. Um, Banrian Capital, what we do is we're an alternative investment platform for um, financial advisors to access alternative investment solutions on behalf of their clients. So we're talking um, REITs, uh, private equity, venture capital, right. anything related to the private markets. Essentially, we help to be a facilitator for financial advisors. Then and what Paul managers. and I have been talking about all this week mm -hmm. is the, the valuation of private equity and credit given that there's no transparency. What transparency do you see at Banrian on this new, Paul, am I right, exploding yeah, industry? Sure. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I've, a lot of like what we're seeing right now is, again, there is a lot of delay or lag in reporting when it comes to private equity, private credit. But what we try to do is we work directly with asset managers to help them understand how they can better service the financial advisory space. Financial advisors work with clients that are, for the most part, like, 
people like myself and people like you guys who are just looking to build on their wealth, and so they want to know that their investments are safe. What we try to do is provide a lens of due diligence from an investment and operational perspective as well to help to help the financial advisor fully understand the scope and scale of what they're getting so into. So she's not worried about what the Fed's going to do. <laughs> Partially, I am. I'm always. I'm always worried about the Fed. I think mm -hmm. it's very. It's always important to kind of keep what, what's happening in mind. And like for me, growing up, I came like I was in a. I grew up in a zero interest rate environment. So now <laughs> that things are up to five percent, I would say that's kind of normal. But I'm definitely. You know, it's Paul, something between, to between Lisa Mateo. <laughs> And Victoria Bills, I'm getting hammered today. These guys are just, you know, you know the youth is here. It, it is, the thankfully so. have arrived. <laughs> so, Victoria, I was actually surprised to learn, you know, years ago, how much the average retail advisor is allocating to alternatives. I thought mm -hmm. it would have been a really small number, if not zero, but I'm hearing it's meaningful. It's more than 5% of a portfolio for a lot of these folks. Talk to us about kind of, what you think or what you're hearing from your clients is a is a reasonable allocation in a traditional 60-40 portfolio to alternatives? Great question. Um, I would say like a traditional allocation, we're looking at around 10 to 15 percent in terms of allocations to alternatives. But of course, that's also contingent upon your client's risk profile, timeline, liquidity restraints. There are a lot of things that come into play outside of just what would be like a standard or like a traditional allocation and always keeping in mind keeping in mind again like those liquidity restraints so yeah. one of the things that we do is we offer not only just private vehicles but also 40 act vehicles and, and 40 act vehicles so as well. So what's a 40 act vehicle? Ascent so 40 act vehicle essentially allows it's for Securities Exchange Act of 1940. Yes. 40 Act. Okay. Yeah. So Securities Exchange Act um, basically allows for fiduciary discretion but also higher transparency on the on the reporting okay. spectrum. So mm -hmm. one of the interesting areas on the alternative side that has just blown me away in its growth has been private credit. Mm -hmm. I mean it's been such a hot area and I always say if I came back to Wall Street again it, I might think about going into private credit directly. It seems like a, a great business. We all know about private equity, but private credit something relatively new. How do you guys think about private credit? Very positive around private credit. I'm more bullish around actually smaller levels of private credit. So when we think about um, the space where essentially now the interest rates have gone up, um, the average, I would say, like the average like business owner, someone who has like less than like a million in like revenue, they're having a difficult time finding loans from banks. So if you, for example, are trying to get non-dilutive capital outside of VC, um, small credit loans, private credit, private credit loans are actually a great opportunity in their great growing space. So looking at um, private credit funds that have that basically work with companies that have less than about five. Five million are working that working to um, provide like five million dollars in loans. And there are overall. investment vehicles for your clients to get some exposure to that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we have a um, actually we do have a private credit vehicle on our roster right now called Meriwether Capital Group. They provide what's called the Hero Fund, and the amazing thing about it is that they essentially invest in businesses within the Pacific Northwest and their mom and pop st st stores particularly. So these are basically small town com small time companies, but very good balance sheets very good like like debt to EBITDA and essentially like the they're right. being managed very well but are not a client when it comes to what the traditional banks are looking for right. or large private credit funds would be looking you, for you came out of the Babson combine 
And oh, the yes. Babson <laughs> combine is it's it's, it's not as a, it's pound not, for pound. Yeah, pound Ooh. for pound, it's great. And it's part of their of courage back forty years. I literally looked out a window years ago at the David Babson Institute building, but <laughs> the answer is up in Wellesley Hills and you go up the road past the country club and here's this oasis of bigger, broader thinking. Sift that through to artificial intelligence. Mm. Where do you look on AI? You know, I mean, it's featured in NVIDIA, but does everyone win at AI or is it a narrow group that you've really got to do some work on? I love this question. <laughs> and okay, can I reason... go home? I'm leaving right now. Goodbye. <laughs> AI, it's, AI is one of those hot topics that everyone is very excited about right now. Without getting into like the nitty-gritty details, there is a lot of, essentially, I would say that there's a lot of noise surrounding it. So true AI in the sense we're looking at companies or we're looking at essentially the ability to create more generative AI. So the, to me, that's where the real market is. Using AI tools, for example, to create better create market efficiencies, whether that's using, I use AI, for example, or ChatGPT to draft emails for myself. Or you I, use AI to draft emails? I do, yes. So, well, or and I'll even say like, hey, I want to draft an email to say like, I look like looking for an opportunity to network and it'll spout four paragraphs. And they'll say, okay, make it one paragraph. And it'll do the exact same thing, but in one paragraph. And then I can even say, for example, I, uh, I used fun example of like using AI to basically ask the question of how do I optimize my social media? Things, there are a lot of things that okay, AI- so and, ball, help and, me like, <laughs> She's spouting four paragraphs here. Here's, here's my AI, mm. all capital letters. I can't meet at 1015, boom. Mm. What's AI gonna do for me on that email? It's essentially, it will kind of, it, I mean, when it comes to like what you do on that email, I'm sure there's not much that AI can do for that. No, but, but Mr. Bloomberg can do something for that. He'll yes. show me the door. <laughs> but it's yeah. essentially, there's a lot of opportunities in AI, but what we want to focus on more is on the generative side of AI. So while it's good for operational efficiency, making certain that like yeah. you're sending the right emails, trying to figure out what hashtags yep. to use, where a right. lot of the AI tools are being used right now is essentially to try well. and get around yeah. where other people weren't able to work in the space. Victoria, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, having with me. Banrian of Chicago, Victoria Bills uh, joins us this morning. I gotta write an email in the break. I know. <laughs> Good luck Old with fashioned. it. Spout it out, four <laughs> paragraphs. Longest email I've ever done is three sentences. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. 
And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Your daily look at the front pages around the world. What do you got for the newspapers? All right. This one stuck out to me. There finally could be an IPO for athletes. This is in the New York Post. I had to read through this a few times. So it's a new investment platform. It's called Vestable. It allows fans to buy and sell shares in the future on the field earnings of college professional athlete received federal approval to begin trading on the U.S. stock market. Denver Broncos linebacker Baron Bra- Browning He's going to headline their IPO the week of March 18th. So it's really intricate as to how it works, but it's an interesting story as to how this can So enter. he gets a big chunk of the IPO he proceeds does. up He front. does. He gets about 80% of the proceeds from his so IPO. So he gets cash today. Now, he's on the yeah. last year, I guess, of a rookie contract, so he's about to go yes. to free agency. And if he does, if I buy a share of this guy, I get a piece of his incremental upside in his new contracts now and going forward and so that's forward, yeah. my risk return opportunity as a shareholder okay yeah. the way yeah. i'm looking at this yeah. it falls way better than <laughs> How do you i am look at this? Yeah. if you equitize his income he gets a capital gains treatment uh, out of the ipo yep. Yep. versus ordinary income does that make that's sense that's also a good point i didn't think mm. about that i don't know I'm always I, thinking of taxes you know, yeah very him, possible you know, you know just I, monetizing that revenue stream yeah. going forward so what's the depreciation when his knees run out? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the risk. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, good stuff. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, we have a big pre-wedding party today. Okay. Unbelievable. The Is there anybody in my aisle at Bloomberg not getting married? <laughs> no. Lee's getting married. Everybody's getting married. Really? It's amazing. They've all got brides. Mar- ma- um, brides. It's wedding season. Brides well, Magazine. Really, yep. Arizona's over there. She's got Brides Magazine. It's like 400 pages thick. <laughs> well, this, this this is like big time, though. This, so this what do you son got? of Asia's richest yes. man is getting married, and like all the A-list slubs globally all coming are going out. to it. Mukesh Abramowitz is going? Abramowitz might be going. <laughs> what do you got, Lisa? Explain. <laughs> do you know, Mukesh Ambani, it's his youngest son, a non-Ambani, three-day celebration. Okay, this guy doesn't get married till July 12th, but it starts today. You have people like Rihanna performing. You have American illusionist David Blaine. He's going to be performing there. You have 500 types of dishes, but this is like big wigs showing up. We're talking about Meta Platforms, Mark Zuckerberg. He's going to the ding. The thing, uh, Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, BlackRock co-founder Larry Fink. You have Sundar Pichai for Alphabet CEO. I mean, this is like big time. And it just shows like, you know. this the reliance guy. Y- yes, so yes, yes. Oh, this is reliance. You have to do business. Isn't that worth is $110 billion? But you have to go to their wedding. You have yes. to go. Now, what, my question is, what kind of gift, what kind of check are you yeah. handing out at this kind of wedding? Exactly. Or, or gift. I, I don't mean, know. I candlesticks know. always make a good gift. I, I, hey, mine is a case of Narragansett. And that, just, <laughs> that really goes well. Next. Luxury skiing in the Alps getting even fancier. Oh, Sweeney's story. Sweeney yep. Yes, yep. he's going to love this. Okay. How would you like your own ski butler? Need it. Who shows up with extra gloves, boots, like right there, ready that, for you? That's called dad. Yeah. <laughs> You have the helicopter for just over two grand. It could take you to a mountaintop restaurant. You can indulge in 2,000 bottle of Tuscan Red. You know, here's the thing. Winters are getting warmer, less snow. They're trying to attract these big spenders. So that's why they're doing these things. Does it matter if the Alps, I'm speaking unbriefed, 
is running out of snow. Yeah, I mean, it's every year. The question is, yeah. where do you go? Do you go east to the to Europe or west in okay. the U.S.? And that's what people ask. Is I'm like, going west in a couple of weeks. You're going okay. west. But, but I'm showing my age here. Stay with me, all your fossils <laughs> on YouTube live. That scene in the beginning of Charade, where Cary Grant shows up. Yeah, on the European piss, <laughs> and Audrey Hepburn is sitting there. Okay. Is it still, that's all I want. Can the, can the butler there. give me yes. the coolness of Cary Grant the and Audrey coolness Hepburn? coolness right there at your beck and call. Yep. Yes. It, yep. it, it defines for a generation yes. European skiing. Yeah, the, well, skiing in the Alps Audrey is Hepburn phenomenal. Skiing in Europe is a whole different <gasps> gig. Yeah, it's great. Oh. Why is it different? Um, it's, just the, it's just the gig up in the Alps that just, it's so international, so global, and the and it's uh, it's Audrey not Hepburn. corporate. It's not corporate like you might the Vale Resorts resorts in the U.S., which are phenomenal, by the way. Right. Um, but it's just a little bit different. <laughs> the difference there is you got Audrey Hepburn and Yves Saint Laurent, and at Aspen you've got a guy with a Kansas City right. Chiefs jacket. Right. Exactly. Right. Final one. Go. Yes, because it's Friday. Martinis are having a moment. Oh. Okay. Oh, I'm shocked. Please, anywhere. I'm shocked. Okay. You're gonna pay Please, more for I'm it. Shocked. $30 to $150 a glass. That's what they're going for. Places like New York, it's called loud luxury. So opposed to soft luxury, quiet luxury, where you don't say, this is like where you spend a lot and you own it. And you say, I'm drinking a $50 martini and you post it wherever you want to post it to. There's a place in Manhattan in case you want to go. Of course it is. It is $45, a citrus martini at Illis. There's a $34 martini at Monkey Bar in Manhattan. Yep, so those yeah. are some places you can go to. It's Friday. Really? I'm shocked. Um, no happy Have hour. Have you ever had a shot of tequila at the Monkey Bar? No. Over on 50 oh, whatever yeah. street. Oh, you yeah. sit there at the bar. And they got a black and white TV up in the right of Phil Silvers from like 1955 playing. And, you know, you'll, you'll, there'll be like some nurse there and you'll go, oh, could I please buy you a shot of tequila? And the shot is like an old fashioned glass <laughs> at the monkey. That costs $35 uh, too as well. So that's what we're that's what we're doing with martinis, right? Yes, Going very big. expensive. Truffle infused vodka oh. uh, served okay. in a specialty tray with olives in there, in case you want. Yeah, that's a nice touch. They do that that's at the a, Hotel Chelsea. They have the, the multiple. How much do those cost? They're beneath that, but not much. <laughs> They're really actually exquisite. What I would say, and this is the basic thing, I, I'm interested in what you two think. I hate when they fill the martini to the brim. Oh, because you spill it. Is it is so sad. You spill it. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, I've done that. It's yeah. so needless. I don't, know. everyone out there, when you're pouring a beverage this weekend, no. don't fill it to the brim. No. I mean, that's it's our messy. pro tip. <laughs> that was brilliant. Can you do that series on Monday? <laughs> when we're hungover Let's from go. our $40 martinis. Lisa Mateo, thank you so much. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast, bringing you the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.